we're definitely going to start off talking Utah and Rudy Gobert and everything jazz with Andy. But then, you know, this, as I've written about, as Andy's written about, as people are talking about all across the internet, um, the Gobert deal has, has wide reaching ramifications across the league, particularly with the Kevin Durant, um, trade sweepstakes. So we will definitely be taking your, your questions. Um, and if you want to get in the call queue, well, before we get to that por- portion of the program, uh, please do. We already got a manual Noah in there. We will get to you in a bit, but first I'm very pleased to be joined by the great Andy Larson, uh, from the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, I mean, this guy does phenomenal work on the Utah Jazz. And if you're a Jazz fan, if you're just an NBA fan and want to know what's going on in Utah, there's a great core of beat writers following this team. But Andy's uh, Andy's an exceptional one of that. Uh, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining me. Oh no, Andy, are you there? Come back, Andy. We lost Andy. Andy, are you with us? You're on mute again. Hey, sorry about that. There he is. You're good, man. Okay. All right. So, uh, and I and I cut out for I don't know about thirty seconds there. So I'm not sure what you said. <laughs> I gave you a very kind introduction and said, "Hey, oh, thanks for joining me. <laughs> thanks for having me. I uh, hope, yeah. If you badmouth me for the last thirty seconds, I'd have no idea. But you know, that would be <laughs> uh, out of character for you. You're great. So thank you. Thanks, man. Well, listen for anyone who wants to know, this podcast does get saved and we're up on Colin and Spotify and Apple. So Andy and anyone else, if you miss any, any minutes, any snippets of this conversation, uh, it will be available for your listening pleasure at a later date and time. Awesome. And I'll need that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And before we get, I'm just, I'm just coming in with the programming notes to start. If you are listening and want to ask a question, please make an account. That's the only way to do so. Um, and then you can also subscribe to the show and follow it and get updates about it, all that good jazz. Jazz pun intended. Andy, I definitely was fully aware that Utah was scouring the market, let's say, for Rudy Gobert. Trade values, trade packages, whatever. I knew Minnesota was a team that was very curious on the prospects of adding him to be the rim protector of all rim protectors next to Carlton Towns. But I had really no inclination of these talks getting as serious as they did until um you know news came to light what was kind of your perspective on seeing this deal become a deal that that shook the nba marketplace up a little bit yeah you know i had heard that the minnesota talks were becoming more serious and that 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 was a real possibility like probably two hours is all before kind of the the news broke um that you know the the deal would be done and you know it was kind of uh, yeah, it was definitely a surprise, right? Like, I mean, I think you, you look at Minnesota and you're like, okay, you know, that, that team makes some sense for Rudy Gobert as a, as a, you know, landing spot because directionally they're, they're going that way, but they already have the franchise center, right? Like Rudy Gobert and Carlton Towns have fought for years for that third all NBA spot. Um, they are, you know, kind of rivals on and off the court and, you know, you, we just kind of think of Cat as a center. And so, um, that they've decided to put them together in today's 2022 NBA was surprising to me. And then, like, uh, then, you know, as, as we, I, you know, got obviously the notification on Twitter and started kind of digging into the deal. And then my next reaction was just, okay, the Jazz got no real notable players back, uh, you know, some of these nice young guys, but no real, like, definite 
surefire starter back in this deal. And then when we learned that multiple first-round picks was not two, but was instead four first-round picks and a pick swap, that's when you're like, okay, now this is actually pretty impressive what Danny Ainge has done here. Do you think it was an overpay for Minnesota? I mean, it sounds like you do. You know, yeah, I, probably. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I think Rudy Gobert is a really incredible player, you know, and really in so many ways single-handedly, you know, took the Jazz from worst to first, right? Like the reason that the Jazz were, they were a, a terrible worst in the league defensive team before Rudy Gobert came to came to his starting position. And uh, then, you know, they were a top 10 defensive team after that. And, and in some years just were first. And, you know, they, they surprised when Donovan Mitchell was, was a rookie, when Gordon Hayward left. So like, to be clear, love Rudy Gobert. I, I think... <laughs> Yeah, five. You know, the, the, the equivalent of five first round picks is a lot. I, you know, I, I just think that that is significantly more value than I expected the Jazz to get for a guy who turned thirty years old this month, and uh, you know that you have to pay forty forty five million dollars to in, in twenty five twenty six, right? Like that's just a a huge contract, and maybe it's the direction of the salary cap that changed that and made that look like a better contract than kind of we thought it would be when it was signed. But it just seems like it's a real risk for sure for Minnesota, especially that all those picks are unprotected except for, you know, the the very last one. So here's where I provide my perspective of Intel and then see if we can connect what I know with what you know and see if we can paint more of a full picture. So Toronto was really the only other team that – as the free agency window opened you know, on June 30th that I was being told was a team to look out for for Rudy. Um, and to be honest, people around the league were even suggesting to me that Toronto was the favorite to get him. Um, maybe that's because no one expected Minnesota to be willing to pony up what they did. Um, maybe it's because of what the package that Toronto in theory could have brought back sounds like I mean, this is not me reporting this this is what i'm i'm asking andy um and maybe andy can provide us with 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 the the reported details my educated guess would be that the that the jazz saw a rapper's package of something with og Anobi and other wooden pieces there is like the clear obvious all right we've, we've never had perimeter you know a surplus of perimeter defenders in this era you know, if, if we're trading Rudy, you know, this is what we're trying to get in terms of trying to really compete around Donovan right now. Um, do you think that's what the Jazz's primary goal or what, or do you even think that was even a goal of theirs before they, they exacted this move with the, with the Timberwolves? You know, I, I do I do know, yeah, there were definite conversations with Toronto. Um, you know, I, I think the Chicago deal could have happened if Chicago, you know, essentially Danny Ainge talked to Chicago and Chicago wasn't willing to give out what they wanted. You know, they, they Jazz wanted Patrick Williams and, and multiple first-round picks back, and the Bulls weren't willing to do that. Um, yeah. From what I hear, the Atlanta conversations with regards to Rudy Gobert took about 20 minutes is all. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I never thought those were going very far. Yeah. Um, the Toronto one is, is interesting because just kind of salary-wise, it just has to be – OG Ananobi and Gary Trent, unless you want to throw yeah. Pascal Siakam or Fred Van Vliet in there. I think, you know, the, that clearly wasn't something that Toronto wanted to do. Um, 
And then, you know, I, I think that's a direction that the Jazz could have gone. But you also have to ask yourself, okay, you know, how good really are the Donovan Mitchell, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jazz? You know, I, I, I kind of think that this is a better direction. I know the Jazz, when they, they first talked to Minnesota, asked for the moon and the stars, which I think is kind of reflected in what they got. But, you know, they asked for four picks, you know, three pick swaps, um, and, and, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Jaden McDaniels. Um, and obviously the price was negotiated down from there so that Minnesota felt like they were getting a great deal in this uh, because they weren't giving up Jaden McDaniels. They were kind of keeping a, a useful point guard in D'Angelo Russell. Um, and, you know, they, they kind of got him in a way that could just improve next year's team. But, yeah, in terms of... Um, you know, I, I do think the Toronto deal was was possible. It's just a, a, a kind of, frankly, a very different direction than what the Minnesota deal represents. Yeah. So you're saying you're under the impression that the Jazz wanted D'Angelo when things started. I mean, obviously, any team making a trade of one of their All Stars with the Timberwolves would want McDaniel's back. That's pretty clear. But Russell's value is kind of checked around the league, and the Timberwolves were definitely in different avenues trying to see how they could not offload him, but turn him into something different, um, right. let's say. So are you under the impression that the Jazz, like, wanted him to begin with? No, I don't think they wanted him for anything other than salary matching purposes on that deal. Okay. Yeah, but that was my perspective, too. Um, and I, I, to be honest, I was surprised when the deal got first reported that D'Lo wasn't involved salary matching purposes-wise. Um, I mean, I, I do think I'll say this, like I know at least of one team that Utah called in the immediate aftermath of that deal saying like, well, we got all these guys now. Like, do you have any interest in them? Like, I, I surely like Walker Kessler and, and think he will be a legitimate prospect there. Um, I mean, Van, Vanderbilt is someone I'm, I'm very, 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 very high on. I'm not thinking he's a, you know, all-star caliber player or anything like that, but like for the contract he's on, for the just overall hustle net positive value he provides, it provides in general, but provided for Minnesota, he's just an awesome guy to have in like a playoff environment. I do think the Jazz, not just in terms of looking, you know, they have at least projected that they're going to try to add a piece to Donovan here. That's obviously where the conversation is going to head. Um, but I think in the immediate the conversation of the Rudy Gobert return, like I wouldn't be surprised if between now and training camp or even like ahead of the trade deadline, a bunch of those pieces that they got back from Minnesota, they look to even further sell off and, and get more value at because – Patrick Beveler is a player that could help a lot of teams right now. Malik Beasley could help a lot of teams right now. Vando could help a lot of teams right now. So it'll be interesting to see. And, and I know the Jazz aren't necessarily attached to any of them because they're at least calling at least one team to see what you know they could have gotten there. So I would expect that to keep happening, right, Andy? Yeah, and I, you know, I think it happens with the other complementary pieces on Utah's roster, right? Like they have something like eight guards right now on the roster, and it just doesn't make sense. So, yeah, you know, I think you have some of those same conversations about Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, uh, you know, even someone like Bojan Bogdanovic. Obviously, they moved off Royce O'Neal. Um, this is not a completed roster by any means. And, you know, got to talk to Will Hardy, the new coach of the Jazz, at his introductory press conference yesterday. And he's like, look, I don't really even know kind of what offense I want to run right now because it's going to be really dependent on what the players I have there are, right? And 
I think he does expect there to be significant change there. That's a sign of a coach, of a good coach, too, in my opinion. I think a lot of coaches make uh, or have shortcomings um, trying to always fit their preferred system or style with, um, you know, round pegs and square holes of their roster, right? I think Brad Stevens is always pretty uh, exemplary of that, in my opinion, when he was in Boston being that. I mean, they, they ostensibly had the same version of the of a team for a pretty good while there, swapping out Kemba for Kyrie and all that stuff. But I mean, th- those are different players, and they had you know they had a, a team with Gordon Hayward healthy and without Gordon Hayward and stuff like that. So um, I was always just taken by how Brad um, was able to switch up his schemes a bit depending on his team. And it's, it's I mean, obviously Will Hardy didn't coach with Brad, but there's some overlap there with the Team USA stuff, and obviously Brad's the president of operations ongoing with the Celtics. So it's not surprising to me to hear him thinking that way. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I, I came away from yesterday's press conference impressed uh, for, you know, kind of a lot of reasons, but like, yeah, totally. You know, I, I, I'm with you that that's how you should coach is, you know, the, the, the players are such, you know, are just so different from each other. Like people say about today's NBA that everyone plays the same way. I, I just don't think that that's true. I would agree. Um, okay, so the other, I mean, the big elephant in the room here is is what does this all mean as it relates to Donovan Mitchell? And I know you've written and talked at length about the the lengths that Utah has gone to keep Donovan Mitchell happy, to want him uh, feeling cozy and comfortable and, and, and feeling the jazz and wanting to continue to be a franchise pillar there. Um and I know that our reporting is, at least off, off the top of my head, our reporting has aligned in that like they're at least projecting to teams right now that they have no interest in moving Donovan Mitchell. To me, that seems as much of a projection as it is reality. I mean, I don't think they want to trade Donovan Mitchell, but if they got a price that all of a sudden knocked their socks off like the price that did with Ferdinand Gobert, there's definitely – other teams I've talked to think that they would have to listen and maybe even pull the trigger. It's, it sounds like you kind of are, are aligned with me there, right? Yeah, and I, I think they would pull the trigger. I, I'll go that far. You know, like, I, essentially, you're right that they have, you know, for the last two years really kind of catered to Donovan as a legitimate NBA superstar, an all-NBA player, you know, whether that's going out and getting his childhood best friend in a deal with the Warriors last year for a second-round pick, Eric Paschal. Um, whether that's, you know, kind of keeping Royce O'Neal happy with a long-term extension, uh, you know, with Danny Ainge stopped doing that, right? Like traded away one of his, you know, probably his best friend when he moved to Utah, which is Royce O'Neal, tr- did not offer a qualifying offer to Eric Paschal, even though, you know, I think you could probably argue his play last season deserved it as like a guy who all of a sudden discovered a three-point shot and shot, I think it was 37 or 38% from, from the three-point line last moments year. last year, for sure. Yeah, you know, and for a two, $2 million qualifying offer, I think it probably makes sense to bring him back if you're trying to keep Donovan Mitchell happy. Um, you know, he has a good relationship with Trent Forrest, who was kind of back a point guard for the Jazz last year and, again, not offered a qualifying offer. So, to me, you know, like, I, I think the that was in, in many ways was Danny Ainge kind of taking the franchise back a little bit from from Donovan and saying, like, look, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that he's saying, you know, you, we, we don't want you anymore, but it's like, hey, you need to be an all-NBA level player in order for us to kind of give you what you want. Obviously, there was kind of the Mike Elliott trainer stuff last year. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, I, I know for a fact that the Jazz have had kind of big level asks of other teams of Donovan in Donovan Mitchell trades. It's like, hey, you know, like we really like Donovan. The only way you could trade is uh, you, the only way we could trade you to him is if you gave us these four first round, you know, the maximum four first round picks you can trade plus this really good young player plus this, you know, other young player that we like and so on and so forth. And, and obviously, you know, those teams are, are frankly the rumored teams, the, the New York Knicks and the Miami Heat. Um, that being said, you know, I don't think that they're going to take Tyler Hero and three first round picks back, you know, for, for uh, Donovan Mitchell. I think they want more than they got back in the Rudy Gobert deal. And I, I, I think they want, uh, again, a deal that will, if they do trade Donovan, set their set themselves up for the next decade. But like, I don't think that Danny Ainge is in love with the roster right now and don't think that he's in love with the direction of, hey, let's see what a team built around Donovan Mitchell can do, given all these kind of other actions that, in my mind, speak louder than those words of, hey, yeah, we're committed to Donovan as the guy we're building forward, that, that they're kind of projecting out to other NBA teams. And frankly, I don't know if those other NBA teams buy it, just like I don't think you do. No, I think I mean, they're, they're, you, this is a game of chess. And the the NBA negotiation marketplace leverage game, and when you make a call, and someone changes their tune only slightly, it's very obvious. And to go from like, no, 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 we are not considering trading this guy. And, I, and I'm not I'm not saying that I definitively know this has happened on the phone, but the impression I've gotten from the other teams I've talked to is that they're just not buying that the Jazz aren't selling. Um, I mean, what they just did for Rudy, what they just got back for Rudy is a very, I mean, Brian Windhurst obviously painted the picture pretty clearly. Um, and, and, and along all those lines, like I wrote it today, I just wanted to see maybe if you heard anything on it too. Um, it, it doesn't sound to me that DeAndre Ayton's even like a, an obvious replacement that is being kicked around right now for them too. Is, is that something that, that checks out with you? I truly don't know on the DeAndre Ayton front. You know, I, it's something that I, again, have kind of heard both sides on. And is like, yeah, we're interested or, or you know, it would make some sense for us to, to go after at the right price versus, no, you know, the, the, we don't think, we don't love Ayton from a character point of view. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that it's going to happen. You know, so, um, yeah, I could see Ayton happening kind of in a framework of a bigger deal where the Jazz kind of get, other pieces that they really want, but I, I, I don't think that he is, uh, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't think that they would trade for DeAndre Ayton and as like the second star next to Donovan and then try to compete in the Western Conference next year and for the years to come. You know, like if, if it does make sense for them to add like a talented former one, number one pick, then like, sure, okay. But I, I just don't think that they are. Uh, really focused on adding Aiton as like the answer to their problem, their post Rudy Gobert problems, I guess. Um, you know, and, and I'll say too, you Brent, you mentioned Brian Windhorse. Uh, him and Tim McMahon have been pretty clear on like the the Hoops Collective podcast recently on like they expect Donovan Mitchell to be moved, if not now, quite soon. You know, whether that's at the trade deadline or before the season or whatever it is. You know, like they they don't expect Donovan Mitchell to remain in Utah very much longer. Is the trade deadline? This is me 
showing my uh, ignorance here. Is the trade deadline, it's not after All-Star Weekend, right? It's before it All-Star be, Weekend, yeah. It's before All-Star Weekend. So it used to be after. Now it's before. That's what I, yeah, right, all right. So, I mean, there had been a lot of talk around the league about the value of All-Star Weekend being in Salt Lake and wanting to have at least one representative in that game as the Cavs did with Darius Garland, Jared Allen. Um, and it was a whole, you know, we're the hosts of All-Star Weekend. Yay. It was a whole nice the franchise. And that was being at least discussed as a legitimate thing. I mean, I know it was being discussed within the within the walls of the Jazz facilities. Um, do you think that is still something that will be governing the decision-making now that one All-Star is already out the door? I know Ryan Smith loves that the all-star game is in Utah and like maybe the number one reason he bought the team was to kind of introduce the world to Utah and like Silicon slopes and then the Utah tech scene as like the second or third kind of biggest tech, you know, hub in the United States and, uh, you know, kind of introduce people to a new look, non non church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, non Mormon <laughs> Utah, you know, I, I think that is kind of you one Ryan of his Smith goals for owning the team. What's that? I was making a bad joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, Ryan is Mormon, right? So like, it's, it's not that he's, but he's trying to say, Hey, this is a multicultural kind of diverse, more diverse place than people realize or whatever. Like, you know, I, and as a native Utah, I'm, you know, Utah all the way. Hey, we're more diverse than Ohio. Let's go. Um, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, uh, you know, I've heard kind of competing again intelligence on on that as well of like, like hey, um, as much as Ryan loves the All Star Game, he doesn't think that it's a huge deal if Donovan Mitchell is a part of it. Um, uh, and um, you know, like I, I think that it is if and especially if you're having kind of these uh, kind of conversations about trading him around the deadline, or you have a disgruntled Donovan Mitchell. Or, frankly, if you're a 35-win team with Donovan Mitchell or a 40-win team with Donovan Mitchell, then, you know, what really are the marginal benefits of people's uh, perception of Utah versus a 25-win jazz going for Wembenyama and kind of having a direction, right? Like, I think what the last source I talked to about that said, like, hey, Ryan's kind of – Ryan's smarter about that. Um, he's going to listen to Danny Ainge on that, and Danny Ainge is not going to necessarily care – on, uh, you know, whether or not the All-Star Game's there this year. But I agree that that's, like, a percept a, a consistent narrative is that, hey, like, you know, they, they are going to care about the All-Star Game. Certainly that's something that I've heard from sources before, too. So I could kind of see it go either way. And, again, maybe that's just another kind of uh, peg to say, hey, Donovan's really important to us. That means that you're going to have to pay a lot in these trade conversations if you, if you want to get him. Um, obviously, Gobert and Durant are very different players. Um, but the market is only going to be reflected by its most closest precedent. So the Gobert Hall, and how you mentioned, it's going to have to be somewhat similar to that for the Jazz and the Donovan. I mean, just time and again for people, I didn't really reach out to anybody around the league that aggressively over the weekend. I wanted to leave people alone and also spend time with my family. Um, yeah. But when I got back on the phone on Tuesday, Tuesday yesterday, um, the word I kept hearing pretty consistently from agents, team people, people around the league who are third-party actors, 
um, was that they're, the, the Nets are going to need something commensurate and more than what Rudy Gobert brought Utah. Um, I think that's fair because this is, you know, a league that's that's very built on comps and, um, you know, like for, for contract purposes, whether it's extensions or, or, or new deals in free agency, um, teams and, and agents are always bringing, you know, this player to sign this contract. That's kind of where we see him, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with trade scenarios like Jeremy Grant asking price was very similar to what Aaron Gordon's asking price was the trade deadline before, right? So that all makes sense. And I think it's justified and warranted. Um, I just, I'm skeptical that there is that package really out there. Um, that's even on the board. And I, I'm wondering if that's, I mean, if it was, I think the deal would be, I mean, the, the, the Nets are going to take their time until they really think they find that deal. But like, the, the Spurs did it with DeJounte. Like they waited a bit, they milked it out and got, you know, they're unprotected and their swaps, whatever. The Jazz did it the second they felt that they got enough from, from Utah. When that deal's on the table that you think it is is the best you're going to get or might be the best you're going to get, a lot of teams, that's when they just decide to pull the trigger. And if, if that, I, I from everything I've heard, I this is me making like an educated guess. I, it would seem to be pretty clear that that offer has not gotten there for Brooklyn yet. So I don't know. Is there anything from the Utah Gobert experience, Andy, that you think will shine light on how the rest of this Durant sweepstakes could go? Is there any package in theory that besides the Toronto one we talked about that was being at least discussed? for Rudy that could potentially be amended to accommodate Brooklyn's desires for KD. Is there anything that you find applicable to that answer? <laughs> yeah, no. I, so two things. One, um, the only point of leverage that I think Minnesota had, or, you know, that I've heard that he had was they kind of referenced the fact that they could give up a similar, but lesser package for miles Turner. Um, and so mm-hmm. they felt like in the conversation to keep Jada McDaniels, like, that was the thing that apparently was just like, okay, Danny Ainge was like, great. I, you know, I, I got the first, the four first round picks. I got the pick swap. I'll finally stop asking and kind of pull the trigger on this thing, um, which I think is kind of an interesting thing. So, you know, I don't know that there is that comparable player though, for Kevin Durant, a, a lesser Kevin Durant that's like out there on the market, right? Like Kevin Durant just as potentially the best basketball player in the NBA and, and, you know, certainly top five, there's, there's no one like that's a lesser version of Kevin Durant. Um, you know, I, I think, honestly, there's some trade conversations in which, like, Donovan to Brooklyn, KD to, to Phoenix, and uh, a whole lot of Phoenix picks to Utah, or, you know, and maybe you get Ben Simmons going to the Lakers then. You, if you do <laughs> trade Donovan Mitchell, you need to figure out a way to get... Um, if you do trade Donovan Mitchell, you need to trade a way to get to find a way to get Ben Simmons off the Nets, right? Like you can't have two of the rookie extensions on the Nets roster. But like I, I, from a value point of view, to say like, okay, how are the Jazz going to get what they want for Donovan Mitchell, um, and how are the Nets going to get what they want for Kevin Durant? To me, like Donovan is you know kind of an All Star level player that is is twenty five, wants to be in New York makes a lot of sense as kind of like the centerpiece as a return for Kevin Durant. Um, and then if you can get like a, a Mikael Bridges from the Suns, uh, a Cam Johnson, something like that, also going to the Nets, maybe you've got DeAndre Ayton leaving out to kind of match some of those salaries. And 
maybe going to Utah, maybe going to Brooklyn. You know, you can figure out kind of different uh, ways to do this deal. Like, I, you know, I honestly would be one of the biggest NBA trades of all time if we're talking about the three-team deal involving oh, yeah. Donovan Mitchell, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Ayton or Mikel Bridges or whoever. But, like, especially if Ben Simmons is involved in going somewhere else. But I, I think there's a real possibility of that. Like, from what I understand that there are, you know, and these kind of trades don't just take hours. They take days to plan out and, and weeks even in some cases. But, like... I think there is kind of a possibility there because the value kind of and direction does make sense for some of these teams. There's very much a non-zero chance that KD ends up getting moved. If he does end up getting moved at all, there's a, there's definitely a non-zero chance that it's a five team mega, mega blockbuster um, for the Ben Simmons wrinkle that you mentioned, but also being that like, it seems pretty clear Durant's top choice is Phoenix, right? That's been consistent throughout a lot of people's reporting. Um, and that's just what I've heard and, and can say confidently. Um, and they just, the Suns just clearly don't have an obvious package that Brooklyn would want back that doesn't include Devin Booker. And they can't even trade Devin Booker um, now that he signed his extension, but also that would have run into rookie max complications with Ben Simmons too. So, I do think it's going to take time. I do think it's going to um, you know, potentially include a, a lot of a lot of teams. I mean, just look at how the Rust deal with LA ended up turning into a five-team sign-in trade last, just last year, right? I don't think that's out of out of the realm of possibility. Um, to agree with you, I am. I mean, Mitchell to Brooklyn makes so much sense to your point. However, I've been cautioned that that, that at least. At, to this point, I mean, maybe something happened last night or today, but I've been cautioned that that type of Phoenix, Mitchell, Utah, Brooklyn, KD, three-team thing hasn't at least – I mean, it doesn't seem like it's generated – I don't think any Donna Mitchell talk has generated any significant traction at all. Um, it yeah. could at some point, but, um, like, at least – I don't think any team has been under the impression that anything with Donovan has gotten off the ground at all. Um, it could, like we've been saying all along. Um, and the Royce O'Neal of it all is also particularly curious because, and he, he, as you said, Andy, like he is very, very close to Donovan. It also would be just hilarious for Brooklyn to get to Brooklyn to essentially steal, you know, KD and Kyrie from the, from the Knicks have it all go to shit, and then still steal Donovan Mitchell from the Knicks too. <laughs> it would be a pretty funny outcome. But I, it just hasn't been described to me as something that has real tangible legs yet. Um, I don't know if it ever will, but um, it's certainly something that I think is within the realm of possibility if all teams actually look at their options on the board and, and, and see what um, could actually come their way in terms of returns for their guys. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be, I think it'd be premature to say that that has developed any type of traction to where we should be telling, uh, listeners to be, uh, and this is not me, uh, dismissing you. I'm just talking. Yeah, no, 100%. I'm not, I, I'm not reporting that that is, uh, has legs whatsoever. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. This, this is kind of informed speculation more than anything. Um, there you go. I love informed speculation. I, I think, um, you know, from, from my understanding, like 
the Kevin Durant Phoenix conversations have also been pretty far apart in terms of Phoenix wanting to be pretty, uh, pretty minimal about what they return back for Kevin Durant, frankly, like they don't want to wreck their, their, their franchise's future. They don't, I don't think that they want to trade all of their picks and Mikael Bridges, for example, and DeAndre Ayton for Kevin Durant at this point. Like, or at least that's the message that I've heard that they're putting out. Yeah. And one last note before we get to the caller portion of our program, and we will take some comments and we'll see what, we'll see how much stuff we can spin it back Andy's way. Uh, this guy is plugged in now, so I am not concerned about his ability to add more info. Um, the Miles Turner thing with many being like their backup plan. I mean, the Timberwolves, from my understanding, were one of the more consistent teams to check in on Miles all along. Um, I actually think he, he would have been a more seamless fit next to Cat. And also, I liked Turner as a Wolves target because then when one of them's off the floor, you can kind of still play similarly, being that they're both kind of three-point threats. I mean, Cat's obviously one of the greatest big men shooters in, the, in history. Um Miles, he's shown ability to flirt with 40% from three. The numbers have been a bit down of late. Um, but I, I think that might have been the Pacers' best opportunity to move Turner to. So it'll be interesting. It, it, that, that's why I think covering this stuff is so interesting to me, is that there's only limited landing spots. There's only a limited number of landing spots, and there's only so many players that could feasibly – Fit, you know, the the Timberwolves, for example, want for uh, a, a five next to Cat, or or the Jazz's theoretical want to replace Donovan Mitchell. Um, so it's just interesting when one of those spots fills up, what you know, game of musical chairs happens from each uh, transaction like that. It's pretty interesting to follow to me. Yeah, and it's it's definitely like one of those things where the point guard position and the center position there are just way fewer landing places than for than for any other spot, right? For sure. Um, okay, we're gonna run through some comments and then we are gonna head to calls. Thank you everyone who's been waiting patiently. Really appreciate the listenership and the support all the way this deep into free agency. Hope it continues throughout the off season. Okay. We need to know what the next moves are for the Jazz now that the Rude Deal is official. Um like we've said, and we'll try to go through this quickly. Like we said, I definitely am expecting them to at least take and make calls on all the guys they got back from Rudy. And we're kind of waiting to see if anyone ponies up and really brings an offer that could knock the Jazz's socks off of Donovan, right? That's pretty much where things stand right now. Oh, no, we lost Andy. Oh, I just saw Andy in the call. There he is. Andy, are you with us? There we go. Sorry. Uh, someone knocked on my door. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, outside of a team coming and making a Godfather Mitchell offer of the Jazz, moving some of these pieces that they got back from Rudy or, or one of their, you know, rotation pieces, like there's not like a, a giant dominant you're expecting to fall here with the Jazz, right? I think they're just going to kind of explore and see what happens. Yeah, I think so. You know, they really do want to move Mike Conley. Um it's uh, again we talked i just mentioned that you it's so hard to find spaces for for point guards and centers especially um you know i i think there's like a world in which a dallas trade makes sense given that they lost jalen brunson but like what they're finding is that teams are kind of considering my calling to be a negative or you know at best yeah. neutral contract right now right and 
they're not giving up value. And then it's hard to find out, you know, kind of a similar neutral or, you know, similarly negative uh, $20 million contract for, for next season. And then Mike Conley still got one for the year after that, even though it is only partially guaranteed. So they'd love to move Mike, I, I, but I, I don't know to what extent they'll be able to. And again, we know anything about Danny Ainge. He's really reluctant to take kind of a, a, a bad value deal to, to kind of just move a guy. I had heard to look out for the Clippers as a Conley landing spot, and I would think that John Wall getting him on that contract has totally made that a non-starter. Yeah, that's that. Uh, from my understanding, is that they were pretty close on a deal. Um, you know, it, this is this is dumb, but uh, Mike Conley followed the Clippers on Instagram, and the only <laughs> two NBA teams that he followed previously were Memphis and and Utah. So, like. You know, I don't know that that means anything at all, right? But, like, for whatever reason, those were the three NBA teams that he followed the last week. Um, and then, yeah, once they got John Wall, uh, you know, that was, uh, yeah, that, that deal, that framework of a deal went away. Jared W. is asking if the hero, if a hero Robinson gave Vincent three first rounders and a pick swap would be enough for Mitchell. I don't see it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. I mean, Uh, The other thing is you just have to know, like, a lot of teams around the league and a lot of people around the league, and I'm not saying Utah is one of them, but, like, there's real question of Tyler Hero's the positive on his next deal, right? Like, he's going to get presumably a big money extension uh, and, frankly, is of limited efficiency right now, right? Like, a very good outside shooter inside the arc is something like 45%. And and so, uh, and obviously there are the defensive questions. I, I just think that, there are a lot of teams that don't want to be the next one that pays Tyler Hero, and, and I'm not sure how much if he has the value to be kind of be a centerpiece in that deal. Again, given that the Jazz just got five first-round pack, picks back for, for Rudy Gobert. Um, any update? Uh, Kyle, Kyrie to the Lakers rumors, um, like I wrote today, I mean, I just don't see it being a two-team swap at all. I think, I mean, this getting Russell Westbrook back in general – I don't think that's an appealing option for Brooklyn, and the ca- the tax the tax implications are going to be. I heard that I checked this number with like four different cap people yesterday. It's going to be over fifty million dollars in additional cap penalties just to swap Kyrie salary with Westbrook. <laughs> so I just I really don't see that happen, um, unless it's a, a more bigger three way deal. But I do think Kyrie wants to go to the Lakers in the next off season. I think that's a real thing. Um, and, uh, it'll be interesting if, you know, the Kyrie market, like you mentioned Dallas, obviously they've been linked there. I wonder if Kyrie and Conley are linked at all being that, you know, the point guard market is what it is. That'd be, that'll be interesting to follow. Yeah, I, I agree too. And, and frankly, I, I, do you know if they are interested in moving Ben Simmons at all, given, uh, the direction, you know, what direction do the Nets want to go? The Nets want to find a way and an avenue to still be contending for championships. That that is my belief and understanding. Um, I think Josiah's ownership group. Um, I think Josiah. I, I guess that's what I've been told. I don't know about the entire ownership group, but that's you know. I think they just they really want to try to kind of mirror the Warriors and being a perennial contender that will pay to be a perennial contender. So. Um, that's where things stand there. I mean, trading for Royce O'Neal and bringing on TJ Warren and other things like 
Ben Simmons, I think, is someone that they would want to listen, that they're open to listening on, right? But also, like, his value is at the lowest it ever will be. I think Brooklyn clearly would would rather keep him, have him play and show what he's capable of and if he gets back to his all-star form, you know, then his value is obviously immensely higher than it is now. So um, that's kind of where, I mean, the Nets, I think, would love to get a situation back where, and, you know, the Pelicans have been mentioned as a natural potential trading partner. Like, I don't know if this is even possible, but um, uh, something with Brandon Ingram, like that type of all-star player back is is, is the only thing that's going to even start to get Brooklyn's uh, ears open for Kevin Durant. For Kyrie, I don't really know. I, I it's assessing what their valuation on Kyrie is is far harder because I don't really know any team out there that necessarily is, is so eagerly trying to go pursue him other than the Lakers. Yeah, and uh, you know, I just talk to people around the league who just have such a negative, you know, impression of what he's done to the last few franchises he's been on. Frankly, and like, sure. um, and just you know the. Uh, not the not even just like the decision to not play or not get vaccinated or whatever, but kind of um, how he interacts with teammates even has been kind of a, a question. So um, now obviously like Kevin Durant and Kyrie are, are close from my understanding, but like there are um, other teammates from my, again, my, from what I've been told that are, are less enamored with the experience. Um, last comment before we get to the questions, we're going to try to take as many as we can. Although we've really taken up. This is just such a, uh, a fluid, compelling convo with you, Andy. We've just gone so long here. Um, last one. Uh, why did Portland hard cap itself for Gary Payton the second from my guy, the answer 99? They can they now can't even legally make deals for Katie Simmons, et cetera, because they're right at the apron. feels like they shot themselves in the foot for a poor positional fit. Um, I, mean, I don't think the Blazers really are in the mix to go be getting those guys. I think they're looking more at they were looking more at ways to turn Eric Bledsoe's salary into something, and clearly that didn't happen. I, I believe it's been reported they're going to end up just waving him. Um, I think this is basically. Uh, I think this is just basically what the Blazers team is. Um, Gary Payton is just clearly a rangy defender that can plug a lot of holes for them. I mean, if you're building a, a team around a backcourt with Damian Lillard and uh, Anthony Simons, I mean, Gary Payton just showed what he could do for the Warriors on that side of the ball. Uh, I think that's clearly the, I mean, he's just that good on D. I mean, the guy's been the best defensive player pretty much every team he's been on his entire life. Um, so he's multi, multi-time conference player of the year, Oregon State, the local Oregon ties there. Uh Gary Payton Sr., I think, Damer are close. They're all represented by the same agent. I think that's all important factors to consider. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I just think it's really hard for Portland to get close to the Kevin Durant value, right? Like, they just... Agreed. Um, you know, maybe you play three months of basketball and have a conversation at the trade deadline and Anthony Simons blows up and, you know, what, whatever it is, but, like, it's just it's just really hard where they are now. All right, we're going to try to keep these to one question and get to as many people as we can. So, Emmanuel, uh, whatever you got, we'll try to answer, and then we'll move it on to Noah and so on and so forth. Uh, Emmanuel, please take yourself off mute. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Jake. How are you? 
Can't complain, man. Thank you for joining us. Yes, I I just had a question. As you can see, profile bio. I'm a Hawks fan. Um, (laughs) I I was wondering, like, what are you hearing on what could happen next with the Hawks? Like, are they trying to still make the roster better from here, or are they trying to just look at some smaller moves from here? Thank you for the question, Emmanuel. I mean. The Hawks had, had definitely been linked to Utah, and there was Rudy Gobert. He talks, but like Andy said, he thought they didn't last very long. It didn't seem like a natural trade fit to me once um, word started coming up that Trey and Clint Capello are close. And, you know, I don't know. It just didn't seem like there was a, a Clint Capello for Rudy deal, you know, based with other picks to, or other pieces and picks to come. Um, but I don't know. John Collins, I think, was always being discussed there, too. Andy, do you think there's any appetite for Utah and John? I know it's hard for me to find a clear team or clear landing spot for Collins at this point. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I, I don't know that he makes a lot of sense because he I, I don't know that he's a super natural full time center. You know, mm-hmm. um, obviously, that's the jazz, the position that the jazz need now. But it just hasn't the, – the defensive numbers with Atlanta, with John Collins at center, have, have been really poor. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I, I don't think that they think highly of Clint Capella's contract at this point. Um, the Jazz don't. And, yeah, so, you know, I think – John. I, I actually really like John Collins as a player and my, more as a four than a five. But it's, it's just, again, uh, hard to kind of find a, a fit and teams that really want to give up the assets that, that Atlanta is – uh, trying to get for, for him. Agreed. I think you know, after the, the DeJounte trade, there was a lot of talk about um, moving Kevin Herter, and, and that happened. Um, there will be extension conversations with DeAndre Hunter, um, which all I'll say right now is that I've been told that those are not particularly close or have not been so far. Um, so we'll see how that unfolds. But other than that, yeah, I'm not expecting much more out of, uh, out of Atlanta. Um, Noah, how are you doing? No way, you're on mute. Hey, sorry about that. Um, thank you for uh, taking my question. I'm a, I follow the Hornets. I'm a Hornets fan, and I know there's more important things to this situation going on than what's going to happen with Miles Bridges on the Hornets roster, but it kind of seems like that's frozen what the Hornets have done. They re-signed Cody Martin, but it almost seems like they were – I mean, obviously they were stunned by this move. Does it seem like this is something that they're going to – uh, renounce the qualifying offer, take it back, and do you think that he's going to be on an NBA team? So there's a lot more to uh, find out and to happen before I could really give a, a full, a fully educated and, and like appropriate answer on that. The only thing I'll say about in terms of the qualifying offer, I know it hasn't happened yet. I have that on solid ground. And everyone I've talked to around the league, no one expects them to pull it either, unless the Hornets really do want to come over the top and make some giant, you know, PR st- statement of you know we're not going to stand for this type of behavior. Um, and his court date is set for July twentieth, so I, I would I would be surprised if anything happened before then to understand the, the true nature of the events. And um, but also for everyone I've talked to, like not rescind, not making him a restricted free agent just for the, the quality of player and talent he is, would be a pretty, just from a, a sheer basketball standpoint, 
it would be a pretty foolish move from the Hornet side of things. No one I've spoken to whose opinion I value, let's say, who's a a respected strategy mind in the league thinks that that's going to happen. And it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me too, unless we find out, you know, details about what happened off the court or really just, just very, you know, suboptimal uh but obviously uh, that that remains to be seen yeah i mean to me like the the details are you know the the photos certainly were were horrific but like if you haven't pulled the ql already why haven't you you know it it, it, i don't know i i can't imagine that they get that conscience in the next week i guess agreed samir how are you welcome to the show what's up jake how you doing hanging in man What, what, what can we do for you all right, so my question is about Aiton, but it's kind of in relation to the Raptors. So um, I was thinking about this. If a team were to sign Aiton to an offer sheet, let's say Indiana, they have cap space, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that would take – and let's say that happens. That would take Phoenix out of the running. So how would that affect Toronto, right? So let's say Indiana or some other team were to sign him to an offer sheet, and then obviously Phoenix can't match that because they wouldn't be able to trade him for six months. So – do you think that would affect um, the offer uh, that Brooklyn, like would that lower the price for Toronto? So that's basically my question. You're saying if Aiton goes to like Indy. Yeah. Um, and then Phoenix can't, impact... they can't match it, right? They could. I mean, they could, but they could, yeah. sorry, they could match it, but they wouldn't be able to trade him for six months because that would take him out of the running for KD, right? Yeah. Take so Phoenix saying, out of the running. Does that, does that tip the scales in favor of Toronto? Yeah, exactly. To kind of tip, because if a team were to um, sign an offer sheet, that would kind of tip Phoenix's hand, right? They would be out of the running. I would say that the one thing I would definitively believe is that it would dramatically hurt Kevin Durant's chances to get to Phoenix. Does that mean it tilts the scales in favor of Toronto or makes them the favorite to get him? I don't know. Because I, I mean, the talk about actual offers. I mean, I've heard I've heard half the teams in the league have given legitimate overtures to Brooklyn to see what it would take to get KD. How many of those would actually get the Nets' attention over Toronto? I don't know. Um, I mean, it's been very, very mum and quiet about that. So, um, right. yeah, I can't tell you that, but I, I can definitely definitively say him going to Indy, in theory, on a max offer sheet would really hurt uh, Phoenix's chances of getting Kevin Durant, yeah. All right, and just just one thing really quick. Um, do you have you heard of any other teams that are considering uh, giving an offer sheet to Aiden, or or is it just uh, like is it just through a trade possibility? The only teams I've heard linked to him at all consistently have been Toronto and Indy. Toronto can't give him an offer sheet; it'd have to be a sign and trade scenario. Um, I mean, San Antonio was was being mentioned early on in the transaction cycle. Like, I mean probably even before the draft as like an early team to consider, but that hasn't seemed to be the case of late. And I doubt with the moves they've made, but DeJounte Murray and um, uh, it sounds like they're going to be getting a lot of interest in Yaka Pirtle in the coming days and months ahead. I can't see them like buying DeAndre and now either. So no, I mean, I've been told that there are other teams, so who are they? We'll find out. But yeah. Um, Andy, have you heard any other, DeAndre Ayton teams. It's it's really just been Toronto and Indy to me. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say, I, I, you know, I, I, I think it's those two. And then you're right, like Utah has been mentioned, but you're, you, you've said that they that that's that's not a, not a thing. Um, I would say you mentioned Jakob Pertl. I would say that like he is a critical kind of if jazz center option that I've heard that you know that's that's something that someone that the jazz would be inter- interested in as center and kind of like my jazz centric world but um i mean he's that doesn't answer the under eight questions he's arguably no you're 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 providing man that's all we care about um i mean (laughs) portal's portal is young ish and he is arguably one of the premier you know top five defensive centers in the nba so he would make a lot of sense as a target for utah uh all right charlie saturday my guy how we doing (laughs) doing good fellas how's it going today can't complain. Good. Hey, Andy, I'm going to uh, take you back and read it. <laughs> oh, Charlie, we lost you. Oh, I was excited what he's going to read. I know, me too. Charlie's one of my regular callers and arguably one of my favorites. Charlie, are you there? Arguably uh, one of your favorites? Yeah. Who's I arguing? Can't, me. I can't make fa- I can't. I can't pick favorites. All right, Charlie, <laughs> we're going to bump you, but try to get back in the queue. I'll try to add you. Um, Jared, with the Joe Ingles. All right, arguably the second favorite caller here. Um, What's up, man? But how's it going? Um, I, I have a question with you and Andy regarding the Jazz, but I was wondering, I guess, do you feel that there's a sense of urgency with the Jazz to move off of guys like Conley and these expirings, or do you think that they could be a deadline team? And I'm going to defer to you. Yeah, I, I, I think um... – they have been extremely aggressive in trying to move Mike Conley. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, I question whether or not they take, you know, would have to. Right now, frankly, it might take picks going out from Utah in order to move Mike Conley's contract, and I don't know that they're willing to do that. So, I, I, I would I think, think I would think the price Malcolm Brogdon's price is what they would probably hope for. But yes, I would agree it might be tough right now. Agreed. Like, and you know, I, I think. They, they'd certainly hope for that and ask for that and, and point to that as a comparison. And yet, like, Malcolm Brogdon's 29 and Mike Collins 34 um, have had kind of uh, not similar injury issues, but both have had injury problems over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I, I, I think ultimately it's just going to be hard for them to find a, a swap for Mike Collins that makes sense. So I would say, like, they are as aggressive as a team can be in, in kind of shopping Mike Collins and trying to find a, a spot for him. But... Um, are not at the point where, like, hey, we need to take negative value. You know, we need to give up picks in order to move this guy because we all know that Mike Conley is, you know, actually when he is healthy can add a lot, you know, maybe not as the the starting point guard centerpiece that the Jazz imagined, but is still a useful player. And then, you know, is just absolutely 0% a locker room problem, right? So um, I, I don't think the Jazz feel like, urgency to get it done or else you know it's the end of the world it's just like they think that their roster fits together a lot better if they can play donovan at the one and be kind of flexible about that i this is just completely informed speculation to use andy's words um if he's still on the roster and 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 he he's showing good signs throughout the season and he's he's a trade deadline candidate Keep an eye on Washington, um, just being that you know they made some moves in the backcourt, but if and they're they're trying Bradley Beal's hunk, all hunky dory signing 
five two fifty um, to re- to re- remain in Washington, but the the Wizards are still going to be making moves throughout his time period on the roster, try to make sure his time period on the roster extends. And at these point guard moves that they made this offseason, don't push the needle further. I could see them calling up and, and, and being a team to keep an eye on. That's just a thought off the top of my head. Yeah, I'll also say they, they lost Howell Neto uh, in free agency to the Cavs, and he was kind of their third guard. I think there's kind of a, a spot there that you know kind of makes sense as you kind of as Conley ages and maybe you play him 20, 25 minutes a night. And then I'll also say, like, look, there's a real possibility that John Wall isn't uh, an amazing basketball player anymore. You know, like, uh, it could just be that a year off and, and age and whatever else and the injuries, some pretty severe injuries have, have made him into a player that doesn't fit with a competing Clippers team. Yeah. And so if they find that the, the John Wall experience, even, you know, it's a great, it's a great uh, risk to take at the mid-level, but if that doesn't work out, then I think that you could see kind of those conversations circling back. All right, we'll take Kevin's question. We'll hit Charlie Saturday, and then we'll get out of here. Kevin, how are you? Hey, so um, I heard a rumor that, like, I mean, I saw a rumor that, like, the Lakers might be interested in, like, Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. Do you think that's more just, like, um, posturing, like, to try and get the Nets to lower their asking price for Kyrie, or do you think that's, like, a legitimate chance? Thank you, Kevin. Um you know, I am confident about a lot of individual data points in the NBA Intel pool. There's there's probably nothing I'm more confident in than the fact that the Lakers and specifically general manager Rob Polinka have interest in Buddy Heald. Um, I'm sure they'd also like Miles Turner in matching his salary and Buddy Heald's salary with Russell Westbrook to make that deal happen. I'm sure the Lakers would love to do that. Is that a deal that Pacers would want? You know, if there was real traction there, I think it probably would have already happened. Same same thing we've said with other deals and deal frameworks being discussed. I have been told pretty consistently that people who would know and are involved around the Pacers um, would be very surprised to see Herb Simon and Pacers ownership uh, be wanting to pay Russell Westbrook a buyout um, package to get him out of town for dealing for him. Um, I also don't think that um, they would want him to really be a, a piece while they're trying to grow this Tyrese Halliburton, Ben Matherin, uh, Chris Duarte backcourt. And I also would think that any team taking on Russ would want draft capital right now. And it doesn't seem like the Lakers really are willing to move picks to get off Russ. They want to use him to go get something. And I, I think the only real package out there that they would be willing to sacrifice picks for right now would be Kyrie. And I don't know if that's happening either. So um, I'm skeptical that that deal can happen with Indy. I mean, Andy, any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, look, I mean, they have two first-round picks to trade the Lakers do. And Rudy Gobert just got five. And uh, to me, Buddy Heald and Miles Turner have more value than two first-round picks themselves, and that's not even taking into account that Russell Westbrook's a negative contract for next year. You know, like, uh, and you especially consider that these are Lakers' first-round picks. That even if you unprotect them, just because the Lakers are the market they are, the LA is the market that it is. Like, you're not. It's it's hard for the Lakers to bottom out because they do just are going to be that free agent destination, you know, in 2027 and 2029, 
Um, so anyway, I, I just think that the value doesn't make any sense there for, for Indiana to take. All right. Charlie Saturday. Sorry, dudes. I brought so much heat. The app went and crashed on us here. Um, <laughs> um Andy, I want to paraphrase a tweet of yours from May 21st, uh, 31st. You wrote that one of the strange things about your job is you can be <laughs> reporting on something for an extended period of time only for ESPN to swoop in, write a story at 10, 10 o'clock at night. And part of your job is trying to figure out like what that story actually means. Um, so in retrospect, uh, of course, then a week later, you know, Quinn Snyder resigns. What did that story ultimately mean when it, from ESPN standpoint? And what does it feel like as a journalist when you can be covering something um, for months and months only for, another outlet to sort of pretend like your coverage never existed. Yeah. So like, it's funny because the, the Quinn Snyder story was a long one, right? Like Mark Stein first Very reported long. that there was kind of interest in, in other guys in from other teams around the league and, and getting Quinn Snyder. Um, and then I, I talked to him on the phone, you know, in, I, I think I was in Boston at the time uh, with uh, just asked him kind of, Hey, what do you think about these reports? And while he was, like, pretty upset that there were reports that, you know, like, the Lakers would want to hire Quinn and what that meant for Frank Vogel emotionally and personally and whatever else, uh, he didn't deny that it was that, you know, he wasn't fervent <laughs> about being the coach of the Jazz next season. And he wasn't, you know, he, he didn't deny that, you know, that this was – he wasn't like, yeah, this is uh, – usually you, if you see a college football coach n- main named with another school, right, like he's like, no, I'd never go to Florida. And then, you know, you see him <laughs> sign with Florida the next week. Um, Quinn didn't deny it. And, you know, I give Quinn props for that because for being honest and, and having, you know, more integrity, I guess, than your average college football coach. But, like, yeah, then that ESPN report comes out that said – only the things that we already knew that Quinn Snyder and the jazz had not yet agreed to an extension. And um, so, yeah, when you, when you see reporters, the caliber of Adrian Wojnarowski and, and Tim McMahon, who I think we both you know respect, like uh, to, to say something that has, is already out there, you wonder like, okay, which of these sources kind of either gave them the permission or, you know, wanted this message out there, frankly. And, um, you know, I, I think in, in retrospect, it was probably that what makes most sense to me is that the Jazz were pushing Quinn along to, to kind of to frankly just make a decision one way or the other, you know. So a, about a week before that, uh, that story came out, he did a press conference with the Jazz media where he was kind of noncommittal either way, kind of talked about developmental plans for Donovan, for guys like Jared Butler even, but like, uh, you know, it was wasn't he also didn't say hey i'm gonna be coaching the team next year um and and you know i think the jazz really wanted to get to the point where they knew that you know if if quinn did step away that they would be able to find a a new head coach and and do it in a reasonably timely fashion and um obviously that's what happened but like it it is weird as a reporter to kind of have that happen and yeah like my my i stand by my tweet it is just weird to have a 10 p.m report come out on i think it was a sunday um that says something that we already know, but because, you know, those reporters are who they are, it usually does mean that like there's someone behind those reports that are uh, trying to, trying to put a message out there. Charlie, any, any thoughts, any feedback? Yeah. I mean, I guess just to a larger point, because um, I'm just curious, like if you, this seems to happen to be a recurring thing with Woj specifically, just 
Jake, not to kiss your ass, but one of the things I really respect is like you, you'll throw your credit credit around where credit's due. And right. it just seems like such a small thing. Um, are there ever any be- behind the scenes confrontations where you're just like, hey, man, can you just throw my name in, in the article? I have this, you know, like, <laughs> like, how does that work? Look, like, uh, I, uh, you know, uh, yes, journalistically, I think Jake and I have both been taught that, yeah, you, uh, you know, cite your sources, essentially. And you, 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 uh, you know, say, hey, someone else, you know, I think it's a respectful thing to do to say that this has been reported before and who it's reported by. And, and um, that ESPN, by and large, does not do that is very frustrating. Um, but ultimately i think it's also kind of only reporter points if that makes sense like i you know i don't know that it really makes that much of a difference to the average joe fan like um i I don't know i woes and i have had our confrontations over the year for sure you know whether that's through twitter dms um or in person um less about that and more about stuff that i've reported that he didn't uh, agree with or frankly right now i think we're seeing kind of some of the weaknesses in Woj's reporting and kind of the the donovan mitchell um donovan mitchell will not be traded stance and being kind of so fervent about it where i do you know sometimes think that in order to break some of the news he does um he, he has to represent his sources uh stances to the public rather than kind of the reality to the public but like also, we have to acknowledge that Woj is Woj, you know, for a reason and is, is really good at, you know, kind of a specific version of this um, that, you know, has, has made him made him who he is. So I don't know. Like, I, I have obviously a lot of complicated thoughts on it, <laughs> but um, it, it is. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that it's one of those things that I think if you are a really intelligent fan who can kind of read the tea leaves of, you know, who's connected to who or what reporters are connecting what, like, um, it, it actually can be really informative, even when the, re- the reports themselves don't say anything. I would agree with that last bit. I would be very cautious uh, to say anything about Eddie Wood's style and where they're getting their information from. Uh, right. But uh, that's just not my, not my bit. But yeah, it is. Um, I don't know. There's a last thing I'll say before we go is that there is a line that I think should be straddled of that. Um, I, I am a, I am a journalist through and through from my undergrad days and back even into high school. And I, I do believe in, in the, the letter of that law. Um, and, and from that perspective, like I do think that any news consumer reader, what have you, um, would be wise to be, um, to be, a a, a very, um, attuned news observer and, and, and try to figure out where, you know, what's, what sourcing is, but also, there's a, the line is when you get too in the weed and try, you can start making up reasoning, reasonings in your head as to why, like, look at my comments on any time I write a story now or tweet something, you've got people saying I'm doing one team's dirty work and people saying I'm doing the other team's dirty work, mm-hmm. which to me is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to write things as down the middle as possible to where it could present the facts in a way that someone could think I'm doing one team's dirty work while also, so I think I'm doing the other. Um, and I can tell you, as I've said time and again on this programming, that I'm, I'm never going to be 
one to be uh, reporting things slanted in a way that will ben- obviously benefit um, someone's positioning. But I do think that, I mean, clearly that does occur. And to Andy's point, I do think that the most educated on the ball fans would be wise to at least be aware of that and try to and try to read the tea leaves, like Andy said. But if you try to read tea leaves only, you will start reading leaves that do not exist sometimes <laughs> and make yeah. yourself believe things that don't like. It's very easy to be, it's very easy to tell yourself, huh, Royce O'Neal. To, to Brooklyn, Donovan's best friend on the team was Royce O'Neal. The Nets are trying to trade for Royce to, for Donovan. You know, like obviously, that's a uh, that's a for, that's a very contrived example I just came up with. But um, <laughs> you get my point, Andy. Any final thoughts before I let you go? This was awesome, man. Thank you so much. No, me. thank you, and sorry for the tech difficulties at you know various points. But like, yeah, I agree. This has been fun. Uh, I think there's, uh, you know, from my point of view, from the Jazz's point of view, there's still so much left to be done, and that kind of means that I think the the off season is cooling down for a lot of NBA teams, but there are still so many questions to be answered. And like July six, I think even probably more than usual. Um, and I'm excited. Thank you so much for doing what you do and and covering the NBA from the point the point of view that you do. I, I I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you know everyone listening and the fans do too. Thank you, man. I feel like we're we are fighting the same fight, so it's uh. It's an honor to have you at my side for this past hour, and I uh, hope to hope to see you down the line soon. Um, we'll talk off air about that, but yeah, we'll be back. I believe Friday afternoon. I'm trying to find a guest. I think I have one, but no one to announce yet. For Andy, I'm signing off. Thank you, everybody. Um, please subscribe to the show to get updates when we're coming up next. And uh, yeah, have a good week. Enjoy the potential rumors and dominoes to fall. <laughs>